your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, we're almost uh, here at the end of this chapter. The series has been Rise Up, Living for the Lord and not, is Not in Vain. And as you turn to 1 Corinthians 15, let me just remind you, this chapter kind of breaks up into two parts. The first part at, uh, the, from verses 1 to 34 is about whether there is a resurrection. Are the dead, do the dead rise? But we're in the part, the second half of this chapter, verses 35 through 58. And the question there is the two most common questions about resurrection. When you talk about the resurrection, there are two common questions. And if you look at verse 35, they're laid out there for you. Look at what it says in verse 35. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? So if you look in your notes there, here are the two most common questions, and Paul's going to answer them. How are the dead raised is the first one. How does it happen? And then number two, what kind of bodies are they going to have? And the issue is the Corinthians saw death as a real barrier. You know, how can a decaying, rotting corpse, a body that is cursed with bondage to sin. How is that ever going to enter into God's presence? And I kind of paraphrase that for you in your notes. It says, how can a sin-cursed, rotting corpse be worthy, worthy of being raised up to live in the presence of the risen king? Well, he, Paul proceeds in the rest of this chapter to answer that question. And it seems like an eternity ago, we, we looked at the first two ways he answered that question. So I want to review that a little bit, and then we're going to hit the climax of this answer. So he's answering this question. Paul's answer to the most common questions, or really objections, about getting a new bod from God as believers. And the first thing he does is give us illustrations from the old creation. And that's verses 30, uh, 36 through 44. So let's look at that and we'll read that. Look at verse 36. Here's his answer. Basically, he says, just even asking this question as if it's a difficulty for God is foolish. Look at what he says. You fool! That which you sow does not come to life. Unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, maybe a kernel of corn, perhaps wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one flesh of men, and another flesh of beasts, and another flesh of birds, and another of fish. There's also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. Now, he's not talking about here on earth. He's talking about heavenly bodies in the sky and earthly bodies here on earth. And he says, but the glory of the, one, of the heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For stars differ from star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It's sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Now, what's he doing here? He does two things. He gives two illustrations. The first 
is the seed sowing illustration in verses 36 and 38. A seed is sown, but it sprouts up the same but different. Same way with us. We're going to go down, and one body's going to go down. The same body's going to come up, but it's going to be radically different. And he makes three points. One, death is not the end of the believer's body, but a logical transition to a new one. It's a logical transition. Death doesn't stand in the way of resurrection. In fact, unless a seed is buried, it's not going to sprout up something new. So don't despair when a believer dies or your body gets old and decrepit and is finally buried and, and even disintegrates into the earth. That's okay. This is a transition. Number two, decay of a believer's body is not a problem for God because resurrection is a transformation to a different body. You say, yeah, but this body's scarred and it's handicapped and, and it's going to disintegrate. What's God going to do? That's all right. He's going to transform it into a different kind of body. And then number three, is when it comes to design, when it comes to what's it going to be like, the design of a believer's resurrected body is left up to the Creator who gives every, everything a body tailor-made for its own unique place and purpose in creation. Look around you. Ever since teaching this passage, I really have marveled more in the animals and the fish and the birds and everything that I now see. I'm now seeing it through this filter and just think, wow, that is a body that has been uniquely designed for that purpose in that place. And someday God's going to have a tailor-made body for me that will be suited to the kingdom of God. It will be suited to the new creation. And most of all, it's going to be suited to living in God's white-hot, glorious presence. And that ought to be the heart and desire of every believer. I want to be near Him. I want to be in His presence. I want to be around Him. But right now, we don't have a body that's capable of doing that. We'll see that today. So then the second part of what he says, and he's kind of led into it in, verse, uh, in, in, in this, is different bodies. He uses the illustration of different bodies. Different kinds of bodies are designed for different places and different purposes. And that's his point in verses 39 through 44. And here's where Paul draws on the illustration from all of creation to show that God designs different kinds of bodies for different places to reflect different kinds of glory and even different degrees of glory. And that's just an amazing thing. So while we'll all have glorified bodies in the new creation, not everybody's body going to reflect the same glory. This is certainly true with Jesus Christ. He's got a human body, but he's got a human body that's capable of being fully God and reflect God's full glory. Think on that. And we can't get into this, but even in Corinthians, uh, the teaching of the judgment seat, that to the degree that we are faithful in serving the Lord here is the degree of glory that we're going to reflect there. And so while we will all have glorified bodies, some of us are going to have our body's going to reflect more of His glory. You say, well, that's not fair. Well, it's based on God has given grace to all of us. He's given opportunities to all of us. And as we are faithful to serve Him for His glory and for His good, we are laying up for ourselves the reward of the crown of glory. 
And our bodies will be prepared to reflect as much glory of Him as we have sought to do here on earth. Okay, not talking about salvation, talking about reward for service. And then Paul applies both illustrations to our resurrection from the dead in Christ in verses 42 through 44. He goes through that contrast. And man, if you get discouraged about where you're at physically in life, you just need to look at this and realize, yeah, I'm sown in corruption. I'm going to die with a body that's dishonored by the bondage and curse of sin. I'm going to die in weakness. That's why I'm going to die. I'm going to die with a natural body, but praise God, I'm going to rise in incorruption. I'm going to rise in glory and power. I'm going to rise with a spiritual body. I don't know. Is that good news to you? That's great news. older you get, the greater the news it is. Now, what is Paul trying to get us to see? He's trying to get us to see two things here. Number one, with the seed-sowing illustration, the stress is on resurrection and continuity. Continuity. He's saying you are not going to get a different body. So you're not going to get buried uh, as one person and rise up as another. Now, some of us wish that could be. Some of us hope for that. But that's not, I'm sorry, you're going to be you. So turn to your neighbor and say, I'm sorry, you're going to be you. You're going to be you. I'm going to be me. We're going to have the same body. The newlyweds are, of course, oh, yes, you're going to be you. They're all happy about that. And that's great. Now, listen to look at what it says in your notes. The believer's dead body is buried to rise up, transformed, but still the same body. Transformed, but still the same body. But here's the second thing he's trying to get us to see. With the different bodies illustration of all the different bodies in the, in the space and here on earth, with the different bodies illustration, the stress is on resurrection and suitability. Resurrection and suitability. Point being, we're going to have a body that is fitted, suited for our new environment, which is the new creation filled with the glory of God. So it's really cool. We're going to be us, you're going to recognize one another, but we're going to be different, and yet we're going to be suited to live in the presence of God in the new creation. Notice what it says, the believer's dead body is buried to rise up, transform, to live in the new conditions of the new creation. Wow. Then, he moves on, verses 45, 45 through 50, let's read that. He's not done. He's used two illustrations, now he wants to do a little explanation from the new creation we are in Christ. So look at verses 45 through 50. So also it is written. So see, he's going from illustration to explanation. So also it is written. The first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last, man, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first but the natural. So don't freak out that you don't have a resurrected body yet. That comes next. Then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. We bear Adam's image because we're descended from him in the new creation. But praise God, if you're born again this morning, you're descended from the second Adam. And he has a heavenly, glorified, resurrected body. And you're going to bear his image. 
And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Okay, just want to see if you're awake. For 49, just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Now here he comes, verse 50. He's transitioning a little bit here. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Basically what he's saying is this. If you intend to live in God's kingdom, then there has to be a change in your body. If you intend to live in the presence of God and to live on the new creation, then your body's going to have to change, and it will. And that brings us here to the third point and what he's going to lead into in verses 51 through 53, and it's this. Paul gets now to what might be the most important truth of this entire chapter, and it's simply this, the revelation of the necessary transformation. The revelation of the necessary transformation. Look at what it, let's, again, let's read verses 50 through 53, and that's what we'll camp on for the remaining time. Now, I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. That creates a problem for us, but he takes care of that in verse 51. Behold, look, listen up. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. There's the transformation. It's necessary. Notice 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of the eye, of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, transformed, and we will be changed, meaning we who are living and not yet died will be changed, transformed. Why? Verse 53. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. The necessity of transformation. He is revealing to us the necessity of transformation to live in God's presence for all of eternity. Now look at what he says in verse in, in verse 50. He says, now I say this. I declare to you. He, he's trying to say, this is what I've been trying to get across to you. You guys are, he's talking to the Corinthians. You guys are so hung up on death. So worried about your physical bodies. Listen, listen, I'm trying to get you to see that there must be a transformation. There must be a transformation. Now, Let's look at three questions. There's three questions regarding this transformation that I I think will help your thinking that will then change your living. Number one, the first question is this. Why is this transformation so necessary? Why do our bodies need to be changed? And he gives us two reasons, and they're found in verse 50 and verse 53. So look at verse 50 in your Bibles, verse 53, and you find in there two reasons why our bodies must be transformed. The first is this. Because what is capable of physically dying, what is capable of physically dying, is not able to joyfully receive what is eternal and incapable of ever dying. So what's capable of dying cannot live and receive that which is incapable of dying and is eternal. Now let me explain that a little bit. Look at verse 50. He says, Flesh and blood 
cannot inherit the kingdom. Why? Because flesh and blood is simply a way of saying humans. And humans are capable of dying. Humans, your body, flesh and blood. What happens when you lose your blood? You die. You know, what happens when our flesh, it's weak. It's just, it's human. We, we, we can die. And that's what he says in verse 53. He says, this mortal must put on immortality. When he says flesh and blood, it just means you're mortal. And when you're mortal, it means you can die. I, you know, if I keep explaining it, it'll sound more complex than what it is. That's just what it is. We're mortal. Mere mortals. You've heard that phrase. We're mere mortals, meaning we're weak and basically we're capable of dying. But what are we going to inherit according to verse 50? We're going to inherit the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is eternal and spiritual like God is. And in other words, according to verse 53, the kingdom of God is immortal, incapable of dying. That's where we're going to live is incapable of dying. It's going to last forever. Well, guess what? You've got a body that has an expiration date on it. We don't live forever. So how, how's my body that can't live forever going to enter into a place that's going to last forever? And me, how am I going to enjoy that? It will be short-lived. Okay? Let me put it this way. Our physical, natural bodies were created by God to live in this present atmosphere. But let's say that Jeff, where's Jeff? Let's say that Jeff, after snorkeling there at Princess Diana Beach in the Caribbean, Jeff decides that he's going to fly back there. He's going to skip the ferry. He's going to fly. And living under the water, and he's just going to live underwater in the coral reef. I'm just going to go there, and I'm going to live underwater because that was so beautiful, so cool. The pictures don't capture it. I'm just going to live there. How's that going to work for Jeff? What's going to happen? How long, how long will he enjoy living there? Jeff, how long can you hold your breath? Minute and a half? Okay, It'll be, will it be a good minute and a half? Well, maybe a good minute. That, that, that last half won't be good. Okay? What, and what's it going to show? What's he going to find out? He's going to find out how mortal his body is and that it's simply not able to live in the presence of those beautiful fish under that coral reef. Or our teens, they just got back from uh, doing some hiking in the Rocky Mountains and they went above the tree line where the air was really thin and I understand that basically anybody over 25 had a little problem with the hiking. Uh, I, I said, I, I asked Amber, I said, did the Werners bring those uh, hiking sticks? No, Brandon brought them, but they needed them, and so they, he, he loaned them to them. I said, okay. And, uh, and, and basically, she said, anybody over 30 needed the sticks. So, uh, so let's say they get all excited and say, you know what, that's cool. I like that mountain experience. I'm going to go live on top of Mount Everest. How, what's going to happen? They'll have less fun than even Jeff did in the coral reef. It, they're going to learn how mortal their body is, that their bodies weren't designed to live in that environment. Or let's say Richard Branson, owner of Virgin Airlines, decides he's going to fly one of his spacecraft up into Mars, and he's going to live on Mars without a spacesuit. What's going to happen? He's going to have even less fun than the teens on Mount Everest. He's not going to last a minute. Why? Because his body is mortal and it is not designed to live in that environment. Folks, this is Paul's point. 
flesh and blood, mortal bodies simply cannot inherit, possess, enjoy, and live in the kingdom of God. We are simply not made to live in the very presence of the eternal, life-giving God when we have mortal bodies. Our present bodies are able to die and will die if they enter into the full presence of God's white-hot glory and holiness. But by the transformation of the resurrection, God's able to give us deathless bodies, deathless bodies that are immortal and will never die, but more importantly, will be able to live in the very white-hot presence of God Almighty. And that is our heart's desire. Isn't that cool? But there's a second reason why this transformation is necessary, and it's this. Because what is capable of physical and moral decay is not able to joyfully receive what is incapable of ever decaying physically or morally. Notice he says in verse 50, not only flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom, but perishable, that which is perishable. He says it again in verse 53, for this perishable must put on imperishable. What does perishable mean? Well, in some of your Bibles, it's, it's, it's translated as corruptible, perishable, corruptible. It's all the same idea. Our bodies are capable of being corrupted by sin. And they have been corrupted by sin. And they're easily corrupted by sin. Our bodies are not only able to die, but before we die, they decay. And they're destroyed by sin's power. Paul says... Well, he says that we have to put on imperishable because we're perishable. Imperishable refers to what is incorruptible and can never be subject to sin and its destructive effects. Don't you long for a day when your mind, your body, your will, your emotion, your soul will never again be susceptible to temptation and, 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 and sin? It just won't be there. The power and the presence of sin will no longer be there. And that ought to be a glorious hope of you. Unless we have become so at home with our sin that we're comfortable with it. That we're okay with it. That we've excused it. It's not only that we will never die, but... In our new bodies, we will never be subject to the decay of death and destruction of sin. So let me illustrate it this way. Have you ever seen a food product labeled perishable? Right? What's that mean? Subject to perishing. Right? We were very concerned with that as we packed all this food going to this island. Uh, where's the cooler? What's going to, you know, and Aaron was very adamant we needed dry ice, but we didn't have dry ice. Why do we want dry ice? Because food's perishable. What does that mean? It means that it's subject to decay and will be ruined and corrupted by mold and disease and may even become deadly. We had a refrigerator on the island that wasn't working, and so we had different people that were concerned about perishability in different degrees. And so some stopped eating meat and cheese at a, at an earlier point than others. But at some point, we all stopped eating the meat and cheese because it was perishable. 
So what happens if you treat a food product that is perishable like it's imperishable and leave it sitting out, Aaron? What happens? It perishes. It's corrupted. It's ruined. Now, certain people in our home do not read labels very well. And they have a habit of treating items as though they are imperishable when the label clearly says refrigerate after opening. I'm always I find things in cupboards that have refrigerate after opening. Okay? It's that means it's what? It's perishable and it will perish. Recently, uh, my friend Tim brought over some hot dog buns to a cookout we had at our home, and he provided the meat, uh, and we provided the meat, and he brought the buns, so Tim and I each had one of the buns, and, and Tim said, oh, you can keep those, and later we found out why he let us keep it. Later that night, Gwen brings these buns, it was a big old pack, and we had eaten a couple, and he says, are these the buns you guys use? I said, yeah, yeah, why? And she turns them over, and there was like this black hole, I mean, it was like a black hole. I mean, mold's supposed to be green, but this was black. I mean, it went from, it was actually quite beautiful when you really saw the gradation from green to dark green to darker green to, to this center thing that was just black with a little fur on it. And I'm like, oh, you know, immediately my stomach didn't feel good. What's the point? It's perishable. Listen, if we take our bodies into the new creation as they are, we will perish. We will perish. We will be ruined. We are, we are destroyed by sin. Paul's point is this. Perishable bodies that have been under the curse of sin and subject to the bondage of sin and the corrupting power of sin cannot inherit, live, possess, and enjoy the kingdom of God because they cannot be tolerated in the presence of God. The combination of flesh and blood and perishable means that neither the living nor the dead at the coming of Christ will go into the kingdom as they are. Both must be changed. Now, second question we want to address. How necessary is this transformation? How necessary? Well, Paul tells us in a negative and a positive way in verses 50 and 53. So let's look at this again. All this is is driving the point home a little deeper and don't get mad at me this is how paul's doing it so he says look this is a a necessary transformation but now he says this is how necessary it is number one what is mortal and perishable what is dying and decaying is not able to inherit not able and the word that he uses there is the word for ability you, we, our bodies simply don't have the ability to inherit what is rightfully ours in Christ unless they're changed. And so in verse 50, he really hits this, we are not able. You say, well, what about Jesus? I thought he was fully human and he even died. But he not only inherited the kingdom, but he's going to be the king of the kingdom. So if he's fully human like you teach, then how does he inherit the kingdom when he's got a human body that even died yet without sin? Well, here's the point. His human physical body was capable of dying and it did, wasn't it? And it was even capable of sinning, but he never did. He resisted. He never sinned. But here's the point. Even his body had to be resurrected. Even his body was transformed. So you see, Jesus is showing us, look, 
a, a, even a sinless human body cannot inherit the kingdom of God without transformation. It's just not able. But here's the second reason. What is mortal, and this is the second reason why it's so necessary. What is mortal and perishable, according to verse 53, must put on. Must put on what is immortal and imperishable. Must put it on. That's it found in verse 53. Circle that word must. That's a very important word. And it's a word that comes up frequently in your Bibles. And often when you're reading your New Testament and it says must, it is this little Greek word day. And it is divine necessity. Divine necessity. Here's, what, here, here's the formula. And I won't take the time to write it. We absolutely cannot, when you say absolutely cannot, and you add absolutely must, you equal an absolute necessity. It is a divine necessity. God said this must happen, and in this case, only God can do it. Aren't you glad that he's promised to do it? You must. See, the sad thing is, in false religions, people that reject Christ, they think they're going to enter into some heavenly bliss... And they don't have the bodies that can do it. Only God can give you that body. And only God will give it to those who are in Christ Jesus. So in other words, to illustrate this, no one inherits the kingdom of God will do so as an imperishable Twinkie. Twinkies are known, or supposedly Twinkies are the only imperishable product, perishable, imperishable product on the earth, right? In fact, some guy literally... Uh, 11 years ago, on New Year's Eve, he buried a time capsule containing many artifacts of the day, including several pristine packages of Twinkies. And he's going to check them out in 2025 to see how they're doing. Well, here's my point. Some of us think that our bodies, you know, that they're imperishable. But nobody's going to get into heaven as a human Twinkie. This body must be changed. And, you know, we think, man, I can, I can, you know, I'm just doing great. Well, you know what? Even Twinkies perish. And our bodies are going to perish in the, in the presence of God if they're not transformed. So, that brings us to question number three. How will this transformation take place? So, we see that it's necessary. We see that it's absolutely necessary. But how is it going to happen? And the answer of that is found in verse 51. And 52, behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. First of all, I want you to say, look at behold. He's saying, look, I'm about to tell you something that has never been revealed before. That's what a mystery means. I'm about to reveal you something that you need to sit up and take notice of, and it's this, that we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. And that word change there means altered. Altered into something different. You say, well, what? That's what he's been talking about all along. See, that's what he's trying to say. He says, look, listen up. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Your present bodies aren't the same as what the bodies you're going to get. They're the same. You're going to be the same person, but they're going to be radically different. Your body's going to be altered. 
The change will occur from one kind of body to another, and yet you'll be the same person. And you say, what kind of change? Verse 53, for this perishable must put on imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But, but Paul, how does it happen? Well, we're going to break down verse 52 in four ways. The answer is in verse 52. First of all, it's going to happen by a radically rapid transformation. It's going to be a radically rapid transformation. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, how fast will the transformation take place? It's going to be rapid. How rapid? In Blink. Dana just blinked that quick. Blink. I just saw Nikki blink that quick. That quick. That quick. You're going to be transformed that quick. Boom. One moment, you're going to have this decaying, dead, dying body, and the next moment, you're going to have this eternal, imperishable, glory-suited body able to live in the presence of God. Blink, and you got it. It's that fast. How fast? Radically fast. Radically rapid. He says, in a flash, in a moment. That word flash is the Greek word that we get our word Adam from. And it used to be that we think you, Adam was the smallest thing that you couldn't split. I don't care what the smallest thing is. That Whatever science comes up with is the smallest, most undividable thing. It's that fast. It's that fast. You can't even break it apart. It's instantaneous. The change will occur instantaneously and completely for all Christians. And how is it going to happen? How is this radical, rapid transformation is going to happen in one of two ways? Number two, by resurrection from the dead. By resurrection from the dead. I don't know if you thought about this, but how fast is it going to take you to God to resurrect you from the dead? Well, first he's got to find all my atoms. He's got to find all my DNA. He's got, you know, and if, if my body parts have been spread, cremated and spread out, he's got, so it's going to take him, no it's not, boom, 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 boom. One a minute, you're a spirit, disembodied spirit in heaven in the presence of Jesus, and in the next minute, you're standing on this earth, resurrected in a glorified body. Boom! Isn't that cool? Man, that should really impact how we grieve for Christians when they die. That should really impact, you know, uh, uh, there's nothing wrong with embalming. There's nothing wrong with preserving and, 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 you know, and that's all appropriate and it helps with grieving. But at the end of the day, boom, you're going to be transformed and, and, and you're going to be altered. You're going to be changed. It'll still be you. They'll recognize you, but you're going to be glorified and you're going to say, Man, version 1.0 of me was pretty sorry. This is awesome. 2.0, glorified. The second way it's going to happen is by the rapture of the living. By the rapture of the living. He says, the dead in Christ will rise imperishable and we... We who are living. Now, Paul is dead, so now he's part of the dead in Christ. But at the time, he was a part of the alive in Christ. And for this moment, and I can't promise you uh, the next 30 minutes, but for this moment, we're all the living in Christ. And if Christ would so choose to come at this moment, boom! All of a sudden, we're all glorified. And everything that we prayed about, 
just a few minutes ago, his kingdom will come and his will will be done. And we will have bodies that are capable of doing that. Here's what hit me about this. The rapture, and I've never heard anybody say this or teach this, so this could be really heretical because most things that you teach that you've never heard from anybody else is dangerous stuff, but I think you can see this from Scripture. I've never heard anybody explain to me that the rapture is your deathless resurrection. The rapture is the deathless resurrection. Everything that's going to happen to the dead in Christ is going to happen to us without having to go through death. The rapture is the deathless resurrection. And here's what I want you to see today. That we, and I know I have done this. I mean, we preach on resurrection once a year, and we think about resurrection, and we kind of see that as the ultimate. But listen, the resurrection is a means to this transformation, this instantaneous transformation. And sometimes we get locked in on the rapture. If you know about the rapture and you you see, oh, the rapture, it'll be an escape. It's an escape. It's a release. And you focus on the rapture. No, the rapture is a transformation. Instantaneous transformation. A deathless resurrection. And it's taught, and we will look at this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, more about that. But let me hit the fourth way this is going to happen. Number four, this is going to happen according to the revelation of a mystery that God never revealed in the Old Testament. This is going to happen according to the revelation of a mystery that God never revealed in the Old Testament. Now, why do I say that? The rapture is a New Testament mystery. Mystery meaning God had never revealed it. Only God can reveal it. And what what I'm saying is the Old Testament believers... Basically, their understanding and all God had revealed to them is that everybody, every believer will die and then be resurrected to the kingdom. And this new truth that, boom, behold, I'm telling you a mystery. It is a church age mystery that the church will not all die before Christ returns. The rapture is a church-age mystery revealed to the church by the New Testament apostle Paul. Now, it was hinted at in the Old Testament because there's two men who were raptured in the Old Testament. Do you know who they are? Enoch walked with God and he was taken up. Enoch was raptured up. So there's a picture of it, but it wasn't taught. And it was certainly not the norm. Who was the other man? Elijah was taken up. You say, well, how are they going to inherit the kingdom? Well, because, boom, in a flash, their bodies are going to be glorified and they're going to be transformed. So here's what it says. This is a mystery never before revealed in the Bible until the New Testament. Not all church believers will die, but all will be transformed. All will be transformed. So... What do I do with this? Well, first of all, don't reject the revealed truth of bodily resurrection and rapture transformation just because you don't fully understand how it will happen. Okay? It's been revealed. It's been taught. I don't understand it all. I can't explain it all. And science can't explain it all. And don't let science trump God's revelation. Don't let reason trump. Secondly, only fools will deny this revealed truth 
of a living Christ who can transform the dead and transform the living in the blink of an eye. Don't think like the natural man. Don't be unbelieving. What Paul is trying to do, he's trying to, he's trying to get the Corinthians to see, you guys are all hung up on dead, death, hindering God and, and, and your, your sin and sinful bodies not being able to get into the kingdom of God. And he's saying, your God's too small. You've got a God so big that, boom, in a flash, he can make you fully suited for his kingdom. Isn't that cool? Death does not hinder or is even necessary. And we'll see this uh, in a couple weeks when he goes on. Death isn't a problem for God. He's conquered it. Death doesn't hinder and it's not even necessary for God to get you to where he wants you to get you. Okay? And number four, salvation, resurrection, and rapture are all about transformation. And it's a process that should be already taking place in every believer. Listen, all of what God is doing, the moment these kids that have, some of our kids have gotten saved this week. And I'm telling you, bad on us if we think it's all about that decision. It's about transformation. If they have trusted Christ this week, then God is beginning this transforming process. And it should be visible and seen, and it may take years for it to be seen, and it'll be up and down and all messed up, just like you and I, but it will happen because it's all about transformation. Amen? And then number five, living for the Lord is never in vain because every believer will one day stand before the Lord in a transformed body to be rewarded for what you have done. And, 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 that's, and that's why he ends this whole chapter. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord because death can't take it away from you. And even the sin that we commit can't take it away from you. By faith, live for Him, serve Him, and know that one day you're going to rise up and stand before Him, and you're not going to perish. You're not going to be burned up. And He's going to look at you, and He's going to evaluate what you have done on this earth, in this perishable body, and He'll either say, Sorry, you can come into my heaven, but you really don't have much to show. You have a body that reflects my glory, but the glory is limited because you didn't serve me. Or He's going to say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy and reflect my glory to a degree that is greater because you served me while you were on earth. In spite of sin, in spite of disease, in spite of death, you served me. And now I reward you with greater glory. Isn't that good? That's just good stuff. Okay, Chris, that's good stuff. Let's pray. Father, uh, these are truths too great for me. I don't come up with this on my own. It's your word. If it wasn't for your word, I'd know nothing of this. We would be totally ignorant. We'd be like the natural man trying to reason this out and coming up with crazier things than what this may seem like. But Lord, this is your truth. And we're going to be transformed. So that means today we need to ask ourselves, am I showing that transformation? In a culture of death, in a culture of foolishness, in a culture of increasing perversion, am I showing forth the transformation 
that will be instantaneous and full of glory. It's only by your grace and it's only by being in Christ Jesus who has done all this for us and he's set the path and he's shown us what a glorified resurrected body is like and he's going to come back and he's going to either raise us or rapture us. But the end game will be the same. We will be transformed into your image. To you be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.